I want you to imagine with me that, that this stool right here, this is where you sat every day for lunch. Like there was a, a counter where you ate, and every day when you took lunch, uh, you came, you, you plopped down on this here stool, and, and, and that's what you ate on. It's a, you wouldn't have any problem. It's a good stool. It's nice and sturdy. Um, you would have no problem trusting that it held you, and it had held you after all, day after day after day. But then, let's imagine, one day when you walk in, I took a, a wood file like this one, actual size not shown. Uh, I took a wood file like that, and just as you walked in the door, I took that file, and just on one leg, I gave just one swipe on one leg with that file. Now, we're going to ignore the questions in your mind like that would be happening, like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? One swipe with that file would not affect your trust in the stool, right? What's the big deal? It's only one swipe. might seem weird, but not a big deal. When you came in the next day, I took the file, and on a different leg, one swipe, zoop. Still, maybe weird, maybe not called for, but it wouldn't affect the trust you have in that stool. But eventually, if every day when you walked in, I took the same file and gave just one swipe on a different leg in the same spot on each leg every day, eventually there would come a point where you wouldn't feel like this stool is reliable anymore. It would get rickety. You would start to have your doubts probably long before it actually would be in danger of not holding you. What started out like a very small thing eventually would be a real problem. Theological error is like that. All theological error is like that. It might seem so small, but if it continues, before long you wind up with, with something that's not a reliable faith. In the book of Galatians, the theological error that, that the Apostle Paul is writing about, uh, we call legalism. Paul taught that salvation, justification, uh, for people bef before God is only available to those who believe. Its justification is by a free gift of God's grace, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we say. Legalism is the idea, though, that that's not enough. That to be more in God's eyes, I have to do something. And we can fill in the blank of that something with lots of different things. But legalism is the, the idea that if I'm actually going to be righteous in God's eyes, my behavior is going to have to play some role in getting me there. And at first, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. So, we all believe that Jesus being crucified is the foundation of our faith. 
But, so maybe somebody believes, yeah, but my behavior has to play some role in God being okay with me. That's like one swipe on this stool of our faith. If that continues, the natural next step is, well, my behavior must play some role. Well, then, whether it's consciously, subconsciously, unconsciously, or consciously, I have to figure out, well, which behaviors must be the ones that help me, that get me there. And lots of different traditions and lots of different people will come up with lots of different lists. But once I have that list of these are the bad things I must avoid for God to be okay with me, these are the good things I must do for God to be okay with me, once I have that list, I automatically have another list that says, well, this is the list of sins God must be able to get over. If we follow down that path long enough, before long, people who have, a, have different lists than me, I won't think they're actual Christians. I really won't be able to stomach them. Zoop. One more swipe. And before long, even though I won't say this, I won't communicate this, what I will actually feel like is reliable. What I will actually rely upon for my hope, for this idea, am I okay with God? Yes, why? Whether I know it or not, what I'll actually be depending upon is me. Not so much this reliable rock of faith in Christ doing enough. If I press down far enough, what I will really be depending upon is my righteousness. And that is a rickety, broken down stool that will not hold the the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians that we've been studying for some time now. Because there are false teachers in this region of the world. It's today, it's Turkey. Back then it was called Galatia. And in these various cities with various churches, opponents of Paul's have shown up. And, and Paul planted churches founded upon justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But these false teachers have begun trying to whittle away at this this faith that Paul left in Galatia. In their efforts, those false teachers had had apparently, we'll see today, they'd apparently been appealing to Scripture. They had some proof texts. Did you know that you uh, you can take a verse of the Bible and pull it out of its context and make it seem like that that verse means something that's very different than the overall argument of that author of Scripture. It happens all the time. That's why, it's one reason why here we try to just teach 
verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, through whole books of the Bible, because we want to we know what these things mean in their context. Well, these false teachers around Galatia that have been trying to convince um, Galatian Christians, Gentiles, which just means non-Jewish people, they've been trying to convince them, you're not okay with God unless you follow the Old Testament law. You sort of have to become culturally Jewish and make that a lifestyle or God. You're not in the family of God. They've got some proof texts. We're going to see one of those this morning. They've been making an appeal like this. They've been saying, hey, uh, I know you believe in Jesus, you Gentile Christians, but you've got to be in a covenant with God like Abraham was, like Moses uh, taught. And so what Paul is going to do this morning is he's going to use their arguments against them. He's going to hold up Abraham. He's going to hold up what I am convinced is one of their main proof texts and show how any faith system that where the reliability of where, whether I am okay with God is dependent upon my behavior is not reliable at all. That's where we're going this morning. We're going to read Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 14. In the New American Standard Bible, they read this way. Verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous person shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them, the laws, shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's our passage that we want to study this morning, we, we, we pick up in verse 6, where our Bibles say, just as or even so, Abraham, we should understand Paul saying, take, for example, Abraham. Paul's going to use Abraham as an example of God's habit, God's pattern of declaring people to be righteous based on faith alone. Now, because Paul was sure his audience knew the story of Abraham, and I'm less sure that we all know the story of Abraham, I feel like I've got to give you the quick Cliff Notes version of just one part of the story of Abraham's life so that we can understand this passage. Uh, in the book of Genesis, 
Only 12 chapters in, we meet a man named Abram. God would rename him later Abraham. So if I use those two names interchangeably, it's because it's the same dude. Uh, So this is, you know, after creation and and the sin and the fall of mankind, after the flood. um, And then centuries later, it seems like all of mankind has sort of walked from believing God. It's like there's no believers on earth. That's the way it kind of reads. But God had promises to keep. God had promised from the very first sin that he was going to send a savior, a human being, to reverse the curse, to crush the serpent. I don't know if you're aware of this. Maybe write this down. But human beings come from other human beings. That's where they come from. Except for the first one, I guess. So God had to pick someone. If he was going to keep his promise to send a Savior, he had to pick some family from the earth to bring this Savior from because that's where, that's where babies come from. So God picked Abram, not because of anything awesome in Abram, but because God had to pick someone. And, and Abram at this time, he was from a place called Ur. Today, that's, it's Iraq. Like he was an Iraqi guy that grew up in a polytheistic household that worshipped many gods. And God just sort of introduced himself somehow to Abram. Hey, hi Abram, I'm God, and I'm the only God there is. And God started making promises to this guy, Abram. He said, if you'll leave your, your polytheistic lifestyle and just come follow me, God promised Abram, that I will give you so many descendants that those descendants will become a nation. I promise I will give that nation its own land. And God said, I promise I will bless all of the nations or all the families of the earth through your family, through these descendants that become a nation out of you. Abram began following God and God had obligated himself to do this. That nation um, that would come from Abraham is Israel. Um, The homeland is the promised land, the the, the holy land, Palestine. And the, the way that God blessed all of the nations of the earth through Israel was by delivering the Savior, Jesus Christ, through Abraham's descendants. Now, those were the promises God gave Abram, but... God did not even begin to fulfill those promises in like a linear or easy fashion. Not even close. The Bible, Genesis tells us that Abram was 75 years old before he left home. He and his wife Sarai, or Sarah, Uh, They were old. Sarah could not bear children. They'd been trying for years and years, and they knew that very intense pain that infertility brings. And so this couple, they started to take matters in their own hands and get, they took a couple different uh, tries at, at getting a descendant for Abraham that God could use to fulfill these promises. The first way they tried was they used adoption, which is awesome. It just wasn't God's plan. Abram decided, I'm going to adopt 
uh, this servant of mine, a guy named Eleazar, and he'll be my descendant that God can use to bless these promises. And right at that point, God showed up and began to speak to Abraham again, and he, and he told him, adoption is not my plan for you. The first, you're going to have an heir. You're going to have a son, a biological son. Even though you and your wife are way too old to have kids. That's all the Abraham story I want to tell you this morning. Well, I'll tell you some more in a week or two. But Paul quotes from that moment in the story of Abraham in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 3. Because in Galatians 15, 6, we read this, Abram believed God and it was reckoned or it was credited to him as righteousness. The moment when God decided, declared, judged that Abraham was righteous was not at the end of Abram's life when he had been good enough to earn that label from God. It was when Abram believed God that God could do what seemed impossible. God looked at Abraham's faith and declared him to be righteous based on Abraham's faith. And I want you to notice something about this faith also. Abraham didn't just believe in God. Abraham believed God. Do you know the difference in those two things? It's not that Abram believed that God was real. It's not that Abram, uh, the faith that saved him, it's not that he believed there was only one real God. Both those things are true. But the saving faith, the justifying faith that Abraham had, he heard what God promised and he believed God. That's saving faith. Not to believe there's a God out there. Not to, well, I want to cover my bases in different uh, religious traditions. Is to hear the promises of the one true God and decide, I believe him. I believe he will do for me what he has promised. And importantly to Paul's argument with the false teachers back in Galatia, the Judaizers, the legalists, whatever we want to call them, when Abraham was declared righteous, like he was an uncircumcised Iraqi fella, Paul's opponents are telling other Christians, you're not okay with God unless you do fill in the blank. Paul goes right back to Abraham and says, well, when Abraham was declared righteous, he hadn't done any of that stuff. That's why Paul says in verse 7, so then, understand that those who rely upon faith are the ones that are the real sons of Abraham. Now, What's underlined here, I underline this rely upon because it's not actually in the text. I've changed the wording there. Um, I'm going to spare you the Greek lesson, uh, but where our Bibles say those who are of faith or those who believe, what we, the way we should understand this is those who rely upon faith are the sons of Abraham. Paul's 
Paul's argument thus far goes like this. Is it important to be in a covenant with God? Of course. Is it important to be in a covenant with God like Abraham was? Of course. But look at how Abraham got there. He didn't get there after he started doing these religious things that God later would ask him to do. And he did. He got there when he, when he believed. Paul says the same argument in verse 9. But in the middle, in verse 8, Paul says towards his opponents who want all Christians to act like they are Jews, to follow all the law of Moses. Paul says, note that when Abraham, the Iraqi, entered into a covenant with God, he was reckoned righteous by God and promised all, all of this stuff. It, the, the very earliest promises include this. All the nations will be blessed in you. <sighs> Here's why that's important. From a, from a Jewish, an Israelite way of thinking, the other nations of the earth could be blessed by God. They could. But you know what they had to do? They had to become Israel. They had to become like us. They had to become a part of us. And Paul says from the very beginnings... God's plan, Genesis chapter 12, God's plan was to bless all of the nations of the earth. And you know what? They would continue to be able to be those nations, those cultures. That's one of the amazing things about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will fit in any nation, in any culture. That's why we don't have to, if if we send missionaries out to some foreign land, we don't tell them to make a church building that looks like this church building. And get yourself a pastor that's a, it's about 6'4 and bald. They don't have to do that because they don't have to be like us. This is one reason why I'm okay with us singing some of the more modern worship songs that I know some of us loathe. <laughs> okay, well, I want to do some hymns because I want us to all sing like in our heart language. But listen... The argument that goes, that stuff sounds like the culture. That's why it's wrong. My response to that is, well, of course. Because God can redeem people that are a part of any culture. That's why in in Chinese churches today, they can sing songs that are, you know, Chinese. Right? Right? We don't have to convince ourselves somehow 1950s American culture is the only godly one. Now this might be kind of a side note, a bit of a rabbit trail. Answer this question for me. In that Abraham story I just told you, who promised Abraham... Um, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. Who was that? God. All right, good job. Now look at verse 8 on the screen, though. When Paul tells that story, who or what does Paul say made that promise to Abraham? The Scripture. You see that? The Scripture proclaimed to Abraham ahead of time, all the nations will be blessed in you. You know what's really interesting about that? 
when, when God made that promise to Abraham, there wasn't any scripture. Moses wrote Genesis a few hundred years later. Paul, but Paul says it's the scripture that made that promise. Do you see what Paul is doing? Paul is equating the scriptures with the voice of God. You know why? Because they're the same thing. It really is. There's a reason we call this the word of God. It's what Paul says right here. Paul also wants to communicate to his friends in Galatia. I'm not uh, tearing pages out of the scripture. It is the word of God. I believe every word of it. When we think of this book, we should think of it as the promises of God because that's, that's what it is. Okay, this, thus far, Paul's been arguing sort of positively for his stance, salvation, justifications by faith alone in Christ alone, by saying why uh, Abraham teaches us that that was true. Now he's going to get a little bit negative. He's going to look at his opponent's position and argue negatively against that. In verses 10 through 14, and the rest of the passage, Paul's going to be arguing that uh, his opponents claims that Christians need to rely upon their behavior will not lead to blessing. It will only lead to curses. Here's where we see what I am convinced is Uh, one of the main proof texts that Paul's opponents in Galatia have been using. Paul quotes uh, Deuteronomy 27, 26 that says this, Cursed is everyone who does not keep on doing everything written in the book of the law. Cursed is everyone who does not keep doing the law. Moses wrote that in Deuteronomy. It had been a part of Israel's culture forever. Can't you just hear what Paul's opponents would do with that verse as they traveled around convincing people you had better do the law. It's a pretty easy argument to make. Look, Deuteronomy 27, 26 says right here, you're going to be cursed if you don't do the law. Read it, it's right here. So Paul's going to take their proof text and use it against them. His argument goes like this. Will you just read it? (laughs) Like read every word of what that says? These these guys have been saying, you don't want to be cursed of God, do you? That's why you got to use the law. Paul says, be very careful. Paul says, everyone who relies on doing the works of the law is under the curse. Why? Because it says, not everyone who tries their best at doing the law will be blessed. And everybody who doesn't try their best will be cursed. It says everyone who doesn't keep every bit of the law, continually, always, will will find themselves cursed by God. In verse 11, by the way, Paul's just setting up this question. What kind of covenant do you want to be in with God? Because really, every person who's ever lived is in a covenant with God. They're they're in agreement with God. We're going to stand before God someday and be judged 
for our eternal life. You can be in a law-based covenant, a behavior-based covenant, where God will look at your behavior and see if you have been good enough to make it into heaven. Where, where your eternal life is dependent upon your behavior. But the law makes very clear no one's making it in. Or you can be in a covenant with God where you have to believe God. Like which, which do you prefer? The law says, do all of this stuff and you will live forever. Faith says, believe and you will live. Believe this. Believe you can't do everything in the law. Believe that Jesus did everything the law required. And as we'll see in a moment, everything means everything. Believe that he has redeemed you from a law-based agreement. Which kind of covenant do you want to be in? In verse 12, Paul points out how relying upon the law for our righteousness and relying upon faith for our righteousness are two incompatible, mutually exclusive paths toward justification, toward righteousness before God. They don't get along. You have to choose which system you want to be in because the law is not based on faith. What are you relying upon? Are you relying upon how good you are? Or are you relying upon how good he is? You have to decide. And then in verses 13 and 14, Paul's going to return to the curse that he first mentioned in verse 10. And he shows us why the curse that comes from law-breaking does not need to fall on us. This is really interesting, to me anyway. In ancient Israel, there were some capital crimes written into God's law. There were certain laws you could break and you would earn for yourself the death penalty. Now, they did not crucify people in ancient Israel. They did not impale people and hang them from a tree. That was not a form of execution. Um, the Talmud says there were four accepted forms of execution in ancient Israel. Stoning someone to death, uh, beheading them, uh, burning them with fire, and another one was literally strangling a guy while his feet were still on the ground. Give me the beheading for what it's worth. At least it's quick. But this practice grew out of that. If someone was executed because they had earned the curse of the law, they would take that person's body who had been executed in one of those four ways and then they would publicly display that body on a wooden stake. They would impale their lifeless corpse. And then this saying would be accurate. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Here's what that meant. That was the, the government, the, the Israelite leadership saying, listen, that guy is out there on that stake not because we just got fed up with him and decided he needed to go. 
He earned his own curse. He died under the curse of God. So he was already cursed before we put him out here. But putting him out there on the wooden stake is like a flashing neon sign that said, this guy actually died because he earned his own curse. That's why it's true. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. They wouldn't be out there unless they died under the curse. Make sense? This is one reason why it was so hard for first century Jewish people to believe that Jesus was their Christ and their Messiah because he died by being hanged on a tree, on wood, which again is like a flashing neon sign that says this man is under the curse of God. You know what Paul wants his readers to understand here? That's exactly true about Jesus. He did die cursed of God. He did die under the curse of God. It's just it's a substitute curse. He didn't earn that curse. Who did? You did. I did. Paul says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us on our behalf, in our place. Redeemed is a financial word. To redeem something means you have to pay the price to transfer the ownership. If you go buy something from the store, right? You can't, if you decide you want a gallon of milk, you cannot just go walk into Hills, find the one you want, grab it, and leave, Right? Dirk will have to chase you down and rough you up a little bit, right? What you have to do is redeem that gallon of milk. You have to pay the price that is required for the ownership to be transferred from hills to you. That's redemption. Paul says Christ redeemed us. He paid the price that was required for us to be released from a law-based system where we're judged based on our goodness before God. The law says, do all of this stuff and you will live. The law also says, if you fail to do all of this stuff, I'll kill you forever and ever, and ever, for us. We'll be cursed of God, rejected by God. Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinlessly perfect life. The only person who ever lived who never deserved the curse. But then he was treated as if he deserved all of the curse. That's what I mean when I say he fulfilled all of the law. First in life, he fulfilled all of the law by doing everything the law required to earn a mark of righteousness before the Father. But then in death, he, was, he fulfilled the curses of the law. When your sin went on him, he became the curse of the law so that now we don't have to live under the law. We've been bought at a price. 
This is why this is always the answer when someone hears the gospel, what you must do to be saved, to be justified. You must believe, you must trust that Jesus Christ did everything it takes for you to be okay with God. The the most common uh, uh, problem, the the most common objection is this, it can't be that easy. What's the answer to that objection? Easy for whom? It was not easy. The price is not low. Yes, salvation comes to us for free, but salvation's not free. Christ bought and paid for us out of the curse we were under by becoming the curse for us which was an incredibly high price. That's why in verse 14, Paul ends this paragraph by saying the purpose for which, the why was Jesus willing to die, rejected and cursed by his father, In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles. You know who the Gentiles are? Us. In order that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles. What blessing? That promise where God said, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. How do we get to be a part of that, that Abrahamic covenant? We believe God. Just like Abraham believed God. The content of our faith is a little different than Abraham's. We have to believe the the ultimate descendant, the ultimate promise was Jesus Christ and him crucified on our behalf, becoming the curse for us. That he fulfilled the law, we can't. But each of us has to, has to wrestle with, really wrestle with this question. What am I relying upon? Am I really relying upon faith alone? Or is there something else that I'm relying upon to give me some hope? I don't want to talk like too badly about good works. Like good works are, you know, good. We were created for good works. I hope you did some last week. I'll hope you'll, I hope you'll do some more this week. But good works are a terrible thing to rely upon for our position with God. Why? Because we have to choose. Are we going to rely upon works for our position or are we going to rely upon faith? And if we decide what I'm relying upon are my works, then God is going to judge us based on behavioral righteousness according to the standards he wrote down in this book. And you are not going to pass judgment. In the book, first part of the book of Romans, Paul says it's even worse than that. Maybe God won't because you're not Jewish. 
right? You're not Israelite. You've never been under the law. Maybe God won't judge you based on the law. Well, then God could just judge you based on your moral standards. And guess what? You won't pass that judgment either. You know why? If we made a list of everything that's ever made you angry that someone else did, that's it. And we made a collection of your moral standards. And God said, okay, I'll just judge you based on your moral standards. You know that time that guy lied to you or lied about you and you got super angry? Let's just see if you've ever lied. That time someone stole from you and you got mad? Well, let's just see if you ever took anything home that wasn't rightfully yours. And we could do that with all of our moral judgments. It's not just that we can't stand up to God's standards of righteousness. We're worse than that. We can't even hold up to ours. So how do you want God to judge you? Do you really want to stand before God with the hope being, I've been good enough? Because that is, that is a sinking ship, a rickety stool. Our only hope is to rely upon Jesus Christ, his behavior, his sacrifice. I say this week after week after week after week, and it sinks in to different people at different times. What you are responsible to do is believe God. Just like Abraham. So let me ask you, what, what are you really relying upon to be okay with God? It's so easy to rely upon something you have done. I raised my hand in Awana. I walked down the center aisle at camp. I was baptized. Listen, those can all be wonderful things that justified people do. But they're not the basis of your hope. You need to believe God will do what God promised. You need to believe God did. He accomplished everything you need to have accomplished on your behalf. And decide, I am going, I believe you. It might seem like an unreliable thing to plop down on, to use our stool analogy. Like seriously, 2,000 years ago, a Jewish carpenter with a traveling ministry died and now I can go to heaven? It can seem unreasonable. That's why God used Abraham the way he did. You know, the New Testament tells us by the time Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, their descendant, reproductively speaking, they were dead inside. They were dead. God asked Abraham to believe, you are going to have a biological child. And Abraham believed God. Why? Because it was reasonable? Now, does that mean faith is unreasonable? No. No, it's not. It's very reliable and dependable. 
depending upon who you believe. See, if I promised a guy that was 100 and his wife who was 90 that they're going to have a child by this time next year, they should not believe me. That would be unreasonable. It's exactly what God promised Abraham, and it wasn't unreasonable for him to believe. Why? What's the difference? The one making the promise. Abram, it was not unreasonable to believe God because he's God. What are you relying upon? You may have 25 objections in your brain. Yeah, buts. Who are you going to believe? Right? Your own heart. Your own feelings. A friend, a professor, the culture. Or are you going to believe God? Because here's what God has promised you. If you believe him. If you believe he cursed him instead of you. Your sin went on him and were fully punished under the curse. And that's how he bought you away from that system where you'll be judged based on your goodness. If you believe that, he says you have eternal life. What are you relying upon? And who will you believe? Is faith enough? It is if God promises it. And he does. Let's pray. Our Father, we are, we are grateful for um, the words of the Apostle Paul that you inspired him to write, even the hard parts, which we are getting into now. God, I, I pray for each, of, uh, each person who is here, uh, each person who may be uh, listening to this later, viewing this on YouTube, that you would uh, lead us to really take stock of this question, what am I relying upon for my position before God? Is it really what I do, what I have done? Or am I completely relying upon Jesus Christ, his cross and redemption that is found in it alone? There's so many ways that we can get jammed up trusting in our works, trusting in our self-righteousness, what we do. God, open the eyes of our hearts that we might rely wholly on you. And that is completely reasonable because you are completely reliable. And we love you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and we'll finish our time together.